This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Most of the people think that being a child apology is a very good thing, and they're always impressed by it. But once you already a child apology at six or seven, and when you grow up, what are you? You are not a child anymore, right? So you are a big failure in your own our own way. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. And you are in the right place if you're after inspiration, uplifting stories and practical advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. So if you're looking to get ahead or trying to figure out what's next for you, stay tuned. And if you're enjoying our podcast, share it with a friend now. Absolutely. Share the love, people. And now to this week's episode. In our episode this week, we meet a woman who's on a quest to bring beauty and emotion to all that she creates. And believe us, she does a lot. We're talking about the renowned architect, interior designer, fashion designer and artist, Geordie Fu. Indeed we are. Geordie actually grew up in Chengdu in China and she was something of a child prodigy. At the age of just six years old, 200 pieces of Geordie's artwork were exhibited in a solo exhibition at the Beijing Capital Museum. And by the time she was seven, a book of her artworks had been published. Blimey, that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. She certainly started young. You should see the artwork that she actually drew at that age. We've included some on the episode page on our website at don'tstopusnow.co for listeners to see. So check it out. Yeah, it's amazing. At the age of 16, she left China for London to study art and design at the iconic art school Central St. Martins. She also went on to qualify as an architect and worked in a number of prestigious firms in London and Bangkok before starting her own firm. And now based in Bangkok, Geordie and her team work on a diverse range of products – and projects. And Geordie in particular works on everything from iconic buildings in China to statement fashion pieces for the runways in Milan. In this episode, you'll learn why she believes most architects are boring, why being a child prodigy can make you feel like a failure when you're an adult, how she manages to juggle multiple projects and be a parent, and how she's trained herself to have a positive attitude and how you can too. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with the incredibly multi-talented Geordie Foo. 
Geordie Fu, welcome to the Don't Stop Us Now podcast. Thanks for having me here. It's brilliant to have, well, actually you're having us. We're sitting in your <laughs> office in Bangkok and we've got all sorts of paper cuttings and amazing design features all around us. And architectural models. It's very, very cool. Very cool. Um, we'll show some pictures on the episode page. But Geordie, one of the things that we like to ask our guests when we first start talking is... How would you describe what you do today, just in a couple of sentences? Okay, I'm a designer. I create objects, art pieces, spaces, buildings that engage emotions. That's what I do. Wow, that is very <laughs> succinct. And we're really going to delve deeply into understanding what that really means and the variety of what you do which is really very huge and quite unique, I think. But just for our listeners, if we were to ask anybody in the design industry, that's a huge industry, I know, what would they say you're most well known for? Well, if you ask people who have seen my fashion designs, they would think I'm a fashion designer. They wouldn't know I do anything else. And if you ask my clients who I build buildings for, they would say, oh, Jody's an architect. And then if you ask people who buy my art piece, and then they will say, oh, Jody's an artist. <laughs> so depends on who you ask. Okay, so, right. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple hats. Exactly, exactly. I want to really go back now all the way into your childhood to understand how you got to where you are today. And I believe you grew up in Chengdu in China. Yes, I was born there and I lived there until 15 years old. Okay. And Chengdu is known, well, in the Western world, it's known for pandas, pandas. and yeah, spicy food, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how would you describe your childhood? What was it like? I was uh, very interested in drawing. My parents kind of encouraged it because that's something I like. And then gradually I started to draw very naturally. And then people look at my drawings and they think, oh, it looks like Matisse. I, I can just naturally draw in a Matisse style. And then uh, my parents sent my drawings to, at that time there was like tons of children's exhibition kind of competitions. And then, very quickly, I got into Beijing, and then my work was selected for exhibition at the Beijing Capital Museum. So I had my solo show at six years old. Six years old? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, and it had uh, about 200 pieces of my drawings exhibited. Sorry, you'd done 200 pieces oh, at I'd, the age of six? <laughs> I've done way more than that. They selected 200 pieces. Wow, uh, you must have been prolific. <laughs> Did you sleep? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember not sleeping. So <laughs> I just remember I, I love drawing. And the drawings I have done, including architecture and people I like and landscapes, it's a lot of things. And then they published a book of my drawings when I was seven years old. So I was already a published author at seven. And can I ask, did you have... Uh, in your genes, in your blood, or was this just something that just happened to you as a as a young child? Do you mean the artistic talent? Yeah, the artistic talents. Actually, all of my family they come from a finance background. My parents they are not artistic. They they are interested in art, and they they saw me love drawing, and they they just encouraged me to do what I like. That's all. 
Yeah. That was yeah. really lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I would imagine in China at the time it was a one-child policy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you were their only child. Yeah, yeah. 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 So and they encouraged me to do what I like instead of asking me to do what they want me to do, So which was very good, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And not always that common, I imagine, be that in China or in the West. You, often you get parents who go, ah, no, that's frivolous. Let's direct her attentions to... Practicing her three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. So. Yeah, but they, they also told me to play piano. So yes. I, I play piano since five years old for a very, very long time, but I just didn't really like it. And they still ask me to do it because everybody in China has to play an instrument. That's the culture. But they, they knew my talent or my passion is always in the art. And then from being a young six- and seven-year-old child prodigy known for your art. You left China, I think, around 15 or in your teenage years. And was that for London? And what led to that journey? Well, I always knew that I wanted to do art or design. But at that time, there was no very good art schools, at least in my opinion. So I wanted to go abroad, and at that time, the only thing we knew about abroad in terms of design or art is Central Martins, which is in London. Yeah, so and that an was iconic. <laughs> and how was it? You know, you were so young. To presumably, you left your parents behind, yeah, and yeah. you landed in London, not even yet sixteen. Uh-huh. In a foreign country, foreign language, yeah. let alone a new design yeah. school. How did you find that? Oh, I found that's great. <laughs> you weren't scared or no, no, homesick? I, 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 no, I, I wasn't at all. My parents were, were missing me a lot. I remember <gasps> my dad cries every day. <laughs> so, but I was like, yeah, <laughs> freedom. Because <laughs> uh, in, in China as a kid, you have to always behave very well. It's very, very strict because you are the only one child. And then I was always playing piano and go to school and come back and playing piano again <laughs> and then finally I don't have to play piano <laughs> I can just do art and design which is what I love and at the beginning it was quite difficult I remember because I have to take a bus to go to school carrying all these art equipments and paint and paint brushes <laughs> and for a kid it was quite challenging did and you speak English not very well, but I can get by. What did you end up studying mostly? Was it fashion that you started with? Uh, no, at that time, in Central St. Martin has a course. It's called Art and Design. Normally, people don't understand it. But the course director who started this course is an architect. His name was Don Gray. His vision is that art and design has no boundaries. So that was something really inspired me because that's what I believed. I couldn't describe it at that time when I was a kid, but I think that's how design and art should be. I told my uh, my friends and my family I'm studying art and design in London, and they were like, what is that? What are you going to do? Are you going to get a job after you finish? What are you going to work? So they come out with tons of questions. Because people don't think that to study something without boundary can end up with a job, which is like the end goal of going to school yeah. is to get a job. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> In most people's world anyway. Yeah. yeah. And actually, well, you did get a job because yeah. what happened was you, you did the spatial design yeah, course and, and then yeah. you went into a master's in architecture, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, at the Royal College of Art. At the Royal College of Art, yeah, which is another amazing school. 
Yeah, and the, in the architecture, it's architecture and interiors. Normally, no one mix architecture with interiors. But at that time, my course director was Nigel Coates. He has his master degree, architecture and interiors. For me, it was perfect. Yeah, because, it sounds uh, like it. Yeah, yeah, and then and then I I did really well all for my masters and yeah. So so basically, I was lucky enough to meet the people who believed in the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. You were you sort of like a mag- <laughs> magnet to to find them. And yeah. if you think about the odds of that, you know, growing up in Chengdu in China, yeah. and then you meet two individuals in London at different yeah. schools yeah. who are able to get you, and yeah. you subscribe yeah. to their yeah. way of thinking about the world and art and design. And they also offer me a platform to yeah, amazing. to play yeah. in the in the way what I wanted. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, amazing. And so then you went into architecture, didn't you? You you went and you worked in a couple of architecture companies yes. in, in London. Yes. And then you moved to Bangkok. <laughs> yes. How did that happen? And why? Well, at that time I was Cause I lived in London for a very long time, and then I just had a thought: I want to live somewhere with blue sky and next to the beach and the ocean. Okay, I'm looking around Bangkok, and I, I'm not seeing much beach or ocean, and sometimes not very much blue sky. I just had the thought. I didn't really decide where I'm going to go. And then in London, I met Brenton just randomly, and then he he asked me to move to Bangkok. And Brenton is the CEO of a big uh, interior company Um, here. And a mutual friend of you two. And a mutual friend, yeah. So I I wasn't really into Bangkok. I was interested in working with Brenton because his practice is also architecture, interiors, and it's quite uh, multidisciplinary. I just uh, moved in four weeks so it was you moved in four weeks. Yeah, I moved in four weeks. Wow! It was a big shock when I when I first came here. Obviously, <laughs> I got used to it. I started doing projects in China, and that was very exciting because you always wanted to build beautiful buildings for yes. China, didn't you? That yes. was your. That, yes. I think you said to me before that that was your yeah, yeah. vision. Yes. Definitely. And, and now you're doing it. Yes. Yeah. You do many different things, as we've talked about. You create art. You've got architecture. This is now got, in your own business. In your yeah. own business, yeah. Yes. You've got interior design. You've got urban planning. You've got fashion designing. You've done your mm-hmm. own fashion label. Mm-hmm. Which one do you love the most? Architecture. Architecture, okay. Yes. And what makes you love architecture so much? Because for architecture, I, I see it as just a... Uh, art but in a bigger scale and it can benefit more people and it can change lives yeah okay that's what i believe instead of a small piece of object or paintings maybe it can enhance a little life of a few people but if it's a great building it can have more impact that's so fascinating because you know your business today marks and geordie the website sort of describes says architects are boring so <laughs> what an interesting and yet you're saying you love architecture most so why why do you say that about architects specifically that they're boring and presumably you don't put yourself in that category i don't think um ever architects are boring but most of them are because they start creation based on dimensions or restrictions but 
We believe that we should start from emotions, from love, and create beauty and emotional spaces. And you said that right at the outset too, when you were describing, you know, how you. Tell other people what you do. You know, you build things that evoke emotions. They may not、yes. be the exact words. So I imagine clients don't come to you with that brief of we want a building that makes people gasp with joy. But how do you actually do that and think about taking a client's perhaps more rational brief and putting in the emotion and then persuading the client that that's. What they want. Actually, most of my clients they they came to me because they have very strong vision on something. Yes, they don't use the word of engage emotions. They they come to me and say, "I want to make an icon." An icon, yeah. Yes. So, for example, if you want to make an icon, you have to be drawn to it emotionally, right? It's actually the very similar thing. Or they they come to me and say, "I want to transform my business. I want a new image." For my brand, and to do that, you have to create something engage emotions. So, so the 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 brief the the client gave me is always to create something new and something exciting, which is something more memorable and more attractive. So. Normally, they don't come to me if they just wanna increase efficiency or if they just wanna increase the occupancy of their hotel. So, how do you go about ensuring that you've injected the right emotion and emotion in general into your projects? Do you sort of use guinea pig customers and guinea pig humans to walk through mockups to sort of test if it's getting the right reactions? How do you do that? Normally, the owner of the brand would be somebody somebody very very passionate and who knows his brand very well, and they would come out with a brief, and then we study the brand. For example, one of the brand I worked with is Chinese sports brand. It's one of the biggest in China. It's called Xstep. The owner is a very very passionate person. So we study the brand. We study the brand image. Who is it for? And we also get a lot of this kind of research from the client side. So it's both ways. We study in our way, and then they give us their market research, and they tell us what they intend to do for another twenty years, and. And then we come out with a concept that matches with the brief, right? Presumably, there are times where there's a prospect of a very exciting project, and the nature of this business, like so many others, is it's competitive, and you don't always win. How do you respond, Jordi, to setbacks or failures? If you know, in some senses, with the pitch that goes wrong or something、uh, else. Of course, there are always failures. But I always believe that everything happens for a reason, and it always for the better. For example, there was once I lost a very big project, which I was very very upset. And then the client went for another architect, and then they are not happy with it. And then they did a, another open competition, they selected another winner, and they're still not happy about it. And then five years later, they come back. So to lose something or the failure doesn't necessarily mean bad. How great, by the way, that they came back five <laughs> years later. How awesome! How did you respond in the first instance when you were very upset? Well, there is always other projects. So if I'm upset, I just put my energy onto 
something else, or I do something I love. I go to yoga, or I go to do some shopping, or I go eat out. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just, you basically you just move your attention to something else. That's not, a great strategy. Not always easy, though, is it? <laughs> no. You know, I think you've probably got a much more positive mindset about responding to knockbacks and still yet retaining your self-worth and your mm-hmm. ab- belief in your abilities than quite a lot of women. What do you put that down to? Do you think that's perhaps connected to being sort of in the spotlight and regarded as a prodigy at such a young age? No, I think that's actually a, a limitation. So for, for most of the people think that being a child prodigy is a very good thing and they're always impressed by it. But once you already a child apology at six or seven. And when you grow up, what are you? You are not a child anymore, right? So you are a big failure in your own uh, own way. I don't think that's something made me more positive. I think the important thing is that I have trained myself to believe in what I love and what I do. And this is not something you do when you were born or when you grow up. It's something you have to train yourself to have this very positive attitude. Of course, I get upset a lot of the time, but uh, I know how to change my own emotions, for example. And I do a lot of studies on how to improve yourself. Like, for example, when I go jogging, I listen to Mike Valley or Tony Robbins or Ted and Marisa Peer. I do a lot of uh, studies as well as being focused on what I love. So it's not that I don't get upset, but when I'm upset, I know the methods to pick myself up. So it sounds like you've really done a lot of hard work to get yourself to this place. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, for our listeners who are obviously probably listening and thinking, how would I do that? Mm-hmm. What would be your one or two pieces of advice if you've had a failure or a setback and you're feeling really down? What specifically would you do? I would tell myself, okay, I failed this project. I have done this mistake, but I'm still enough. I'm still enough. So that's yes. something. So you tell yourself you're still enough. Yes. And what else would you do? I would think about something I'm grateful for. So for example, if, if I lose a very big project today and I'm very upset and I will think about, oh, at least I have other clients. I have designers in my office. I have my cats at home. I can go play with my cats today. <laughs> <laughs> there is always something you can be grateful for. So for example, you know, I'm now I live in Bangkok and it's, at least it's not cold. No, that's true. It's <laughs> and that can degrees. put me in a, in a very good mood, even if I I'm depressed. And, and so there is always something you can think of. Yeah. That's when you are feeling grateful for something and then you will be less upset. Yeah. It sounds to me as if you are a very productive person. Yes. Because you do so many things. Uh-huh. I think you told me that you designed a whole fashion line in two, in months. two months and you'd never designed clothes before in your life. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, most people would just sort of not do that. But it's so great that you did. So what are some things that you do to be really productive? How do you do that? I actually think everybody can do that. But we just have the habit of going to work, checking Facebook and browsing online. And it's already three hours gone. So it's not that I have more time than other people. I just... Uh, 
more focused. And if you believe something can be done in a very short time, it can be. It's just we don't have the habit. So, for example, I set myself a deadline, and I told myself I can do it, and I can. And do you work so, all hours in the day? I work a lot of hours, so I I work about a hundred hours a week. So okay, that's a lot. Yeah, but I guess it feels to me like you love what you do, so maybe it doesn't feel so much yeah, like it, work. It doesn't. It doesn't feel so much like work. I think the key thing is you have to love what you do. Otherwise, everything will feel like. Very difficult. Yeah, but if you love it, and then you don't feel the time pass by. Let's say you've got three big projects, and they've got deadlines of similar times.、Mm. How do you manage that? We always have deadlines. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> it's, it's life, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I have a great team. Who are the designers I trained, so they can work in the same way as I do, and、uh, we all used to work at super speed. Right. So for us, it's like, oh, there's another day. Okay, yeah, we can do it. We don't go like, oh, there is another deadline. Oh, how am I gonna finish that? And then you can never finish it. We just do it like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so it's a mindset. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And do you have to have a certain type of mindset to be creative? No, I believe everybody is creative. You are born creative. It's just most of us had the creative talent killed when we were a kid. Yeah, you sad, have parents saying, "Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. No way, you can do this. It's not realistic." But for me, I was lucky enough that my parents didn't tell me that, so I just draw like how I like. So I don't think being creative is hard. I think everyone is creative. You just have to be brought up in the right way. So if you're not brought up in the right way, is it then impossible to access creativity? No, I think once the child is growing up, and nowadays you have all these resources on the internet which you can learn. If you are still passionate. In this subject, you、yeah. can learn, and a lot of it is attitude, is a mindset, and of course you have to do a lot of hard work. You have to learn some computer programs, or you have to learn some basic things, but、uh, it can be taught. Do you、yeah. find that there's certain times of day or environments where your best ideas and where you feel most creative? I feel I can be creative any time when it needs to be. And、uh, for me, I'm a morning person, so I wake up very early in the morning, and I tend to think about the most important thing I need to solve for that day, and I do it in the morning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What about intuition? Does that play any role? Do you think in being creative? It plays a lot of roles for me. I always follow my intuition. Big decision makings, even small things. I'm a hard person, so I don't normally follow my head, and I'm not very logical. If I feel something, I will do it.、So. And what about? It's such a noisy world out there with so much stimulus. How do you know for sure you're tapping into your intuition? Is, are there certain practices you do or certain routines you have where you, especially if you have a big decision to make and you want to check in with your intuition, what do you do? I practice yoga, but I don't think that that's the only way to keep you grounded to yourself. It can certainly help, but I think the most important thing is the words you say to yourself. 
So the more connected you are with yourself, the more stronger intuition you can have. So you you shouldn't say to yourself, "I have a stressful day today. I'm not good at." Presentation. I don't like this client. I I would queue、uh, to not have this meeting. So this kind of thoughts and words you you say to yourself is not really a, a good way to start. For example, but most of us has this、totally. habit. Yes. Of saying these kind of things, not to others, but to yourself, and it's always like, "Oh, I look so terrible today. I'm in a bad mood today. Why do I have this client, and he's a nightmare?" You know, these kind of words you、yeah. say to yourself can,、yeah, totally. can really affect. And it's a very small thing that you can change, and it's very easy to change. I would always say to myself, "Okay, my client is challenging." But I'm very capable to deal with him. So I wake up. I don't think about, oh my god, I have to now. I have to deal with this client, and he's a nightmare. I, I would just say I have great coping skills to deal with a challenging client. You you change the word, and then instantly you will change. The feelings, yeah, the, love that. You will feel much better, and it's something very easy you can do to yourself. How did you first become aware of it? Because you know we talk quite a lot about the inner critic or what we call the evil DJ, with yeah, these yeah, yeah. very negative blanket statements like "I'm no good at this" yeah, or "I look," ter- yeah, yeah. "I'm fat" or "I look terrible today." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you really have built, by the sounds of it, now a very constructive habit of reframing the challenging things into、yes. a constructive way that you can、yeah. deal with them and cope with them, and really、yeah. change that inner narrative. Which、yeah. we totally agree, your inner narrative is so、yeah. fundamentally important. I, I think, I think the the story you tell yourself、mm. and the reasoning you give to yourself on certain event, it can affect how you feel dramatically. So、mm. anything you can give a, a positive meaning, and then you will feel much better. Absolutely. Now I, I want to switch topics a little bit. Now you have recently become a mum. Yes, it's very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. What about it is interesting? Actually, baby was not really planned. But、uh, when I first got pregnant, I had the intuition: this is the right baby for me to have. The right baby. That's lucky. Yes, that's it. That's <laughs> What would have、right、happened if it wasn't the right baby?、Uh, I'm not sure. I just had the the feeling.、Mm, mm. I just feel this is the right baby,、yeah. and I really want to keep him. But actually, at that time, it wasn't really part of my plan to have the baby last year. But I follow my intuition, and then this is a very funny story. My baby was due in October 2018, and I was、uh, always traveling last year continuously. I had no time to study about the being pregnant, being a mom. I had I had no idea to be honest. I was just keep on traveling and doing my things. I did the fashion show in Dubai in May. Oh, that was, was in May. Uh, yeah, when I was, I was walking on the catwalk when I was five months pregnant, because the babies,、uh, I had a very easy pregnancy, so I didn't really feel anything different. And then I I flew back to the UK in September, and I thought, oh, I will take some time to study about this. Motherhood thing. I will go to classes and、uh, I will learn about how to be a mom because I had no idea. And then the baby decided to come early. Oh, how inconvenient! <laughs> so he he was 
premature. He was born at 34 weeks. And then the funny thing is uh, that day I woke up in the morning, I just feel something. And then, and that's why I go to hospital to have a look. And I will, I will come back after two or three hours. And at that time, my husband is not in the UK. Right. Because he was waiting for his visa. I had nothing. I had a bag <laughs> with the hospital book and I just w- went there. And then they immediately had to check me in. And <laughs> about 24 hours later, my baby was born. And my husband still didn't get his visa. So basically, I gave birth by myself. Wow. I was very lucky because I studied a lot of hypnosis. And, uh, you know, so it was a very easy birth. And then, obviously, everybody freaked out. My mom flew to the UK two days later. And uh, everything is not according to my plan. (laughs) And I really like to plan everything to have everything under control and this is totally not under control at all and then the baby was born uh, because he was premature he had to stay in the neonatal unit and then I thought okay so he was stay there for a week but in the end it was 70 days 7-0? Yes, it was Gosh. 70 days so I consider that the most difficult experience of my life. I had to go to the hospital every day to see the, the baby and every single day they tell me different story and he, they have to do this and that blood test and then they say oh he's having DSAC and then they say that Oh, they need to do a lumbar puncture. And then I'm sure the doctors means well. But for me, I know the baby is fine. But they just keep on doing things to him. And uh, every day I have to face all the challenges trying to fight with the doctors and, and trying to convince them to use less antibiotics on my baby. And it was very, very hard. And so that baby and so it. frustrating. And what did you learn about yourself going through this period of time? Well, again, it's about the story you tell yourself. On one hand, it's a disaster. You give birth alone. You have a, a baby with so much problems to sit in the neonatal unit for 70 days. And then I just tell myself, oh, you know, my my friend who just gave birth, she can never sleep because she has to look after the baby. But my baby is being looked after by 50 nurses in the neonatal unit. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> I can sleep even I have to travel during the day and sit on a hot hospital yeah. chair for eight hours every day. Uh, at least at night I can sleep. My friend who just had a baby, she couldn't sleep for two or three months because uh, the baby wake up every two or three hours. I just keep on telling a different story. And then, you know, sometimes my friend call me and say, oh, you're so poor, your husband is not there, and oh, they refused this visa. And uh, and then and I was like, well, it's probably better he doesn't come because there is no space to sit next to the cot in the hospital. <laughs> you find a way to find that chink of positivity in all of this. Found, yeah, you tell your, yourself a yeah. different story and I could manage to get my... It was very hard. Yeah, I'm sure it, it was. could get myself back to yeah. the track. And what's life like now with a eight-month-old? Oh, it's it's great. Yeah. yeah, I take him to the office sometimes and he play with all the girls and uh, roll around on the carpet. So he's basically, it sounds as if he's fitted into your life rather than you changing your life for him. Yeah, definitely. And he's very social. He sleeps through the night ever since I brought him back to Bangkok. He adjusts his own jet lag. 
Yeah. And he sleeps through the night. Yeah, it's, it's great fun. And have you found that your attitudes to work or, or what success looks like, have you found that that's changed since becoming a mother? Well, I feel become a mother, I think it can kind of pushes me more. Now you have somebody depending on you. It's quite uh, different. As I said before, I didn't really know how to be a mother before I wasn't really prepared for it. But once it happened, you feel you're actually stronger and more ambitious and more capable. So, Geordie, looking forward, what's next for you and the firm, Marks and Geordie? What's the next big thing, do you think? We don't have next big thing. We just do big thing every single day. That's and we want to keep on doing what we do, and hopefully we can build more beautiful things. What a brilliant answer! <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if you're thinking about your own career, because you you know, there's very many different parts to you. How do you think about your career? Well, I don't see it as a career. I I see it as uh, that's just my life, and uh, my life has multiple colors, and that's a great thing. And I like to keep that way. Great. I don't want to name it as a career. That's at this stage you do this, and and another stage you do another thing. Yeah. And I think life should be colorful. Therefore, you should do different things、Absolutely. that you love. And it sounds like it sort of just opens up to you as well,、yeah. and you follow your intuition. Yes. And、definitely. what advice would you have for our listeners about how they should think about their career? Do what you love, and never give up, because things takes time, and、uh, most of us give up before the flower even come out. Yeah. So if you do things you love, and you just keep at it, and then one day、uh, you will see the colorful flower. One of the advice I would give is never give up your dream, and you should dream big. Dream big, love that. <laughs> so good. And what advice would you give to your? I was going to say your thirty-year-old self, but that wasn't that long ago, was it? No. Let's say your twenty-year-old self. What advice would you give your twenty-year-old self? I would say believe in yourself. So、yeah. at twenty, you didn't believe in yourself as much as you do now. I believe in less. I was more disturbed by oh, my flatmate was crying because she was dumped by her boyfriend, and oh, I was getting depressed because oh, this guy I I liked didn't call me, or I I was more focused on things I don't have or didn't get, or getting upset about small details. Yeah. So, and I think at that age, everybody has a habit. Yeah. Of doing that, I remember all of my girlfriends were crying about being dumped, and we used to cry together. It's like a social thing. <laughs> I <laughs> can <laughs> just imagine that. <laughs> yeah, especially in art school, everybody's so depressed, and oh, it's so, it's so sensitive. Yeah, it's yeah. so sad. Oh, I couldn't wake up today because he didn't call me. <laughs> And then you you tell each other this kind of thing, and you talk about, it, especially if you are female,、yeah. and you just end up talking about it continuously, <laughs> and it's just a waste of time. Right.、And、so <laughs> instead, you would believe in yourself, and it sounds like maybe surround yourself with people that believed in you too. Yeah, definitely. Classic, classic. <laughs> and Jordi, do you have a motto in life? I'm enough. Nice. 
Oh, nice. that's a great motto. That's such a great way to wrap up this fantastic conversation. Before we do sort of formally say thank you, how can our listeners find out more about you or Marks and Geordie if they're interested to uh, learn We more? have a website, www.marksandgeordie.com, and also uh, they can Google Geordie Fu. Great. Well, we'll put those um, links for sure on our show notes page on the website at Don't Stop Us Now. So, Geordie, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for You're hosting welcome. us here in your very creative offices here in Bangkok. <laughs> and thank you for being part of Don't Stop Us Now. Thanks for having me. Geordie really is a unique character, isn't she? She certainly is. And it was also fascinating to see her office and all the incredibly diverse samples of her work and models everywhere. I love that. Yeah, me too. And the thing about her is that she's clearly got huge creative talent that just kind of comes naturally to her. But she's also worked really hard on her mindset and her narrative. Yeah, it's almost like a superpower that takes her from being good to outstanding and it's the only way that you could succeed in as many different fields as I think she has. Yeah no I agree and there's so much I think we can learn from this there really is I've been even more focused on what I'm saying to myself since that interview which has been really positive. Oh that's great fantastic well done. Well that's this episode done and dusted stay tuned for our next episode with the incredible 92 year old woman yes you heard it right 92 who was a pioneer in business in Australia and is now a complete sensation in China. That is going to be a cracker of an episode. Do not miss it. But for now, ciao for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.